Uh, <laughs> one minute, before you do that, I want to have my jump on. No, why oh. am I singing Jackie Wilson? That's not know. Right. Hello, and welcome to A Glass of Seawater. Today's episode is actually part two of the introduction to ICF. Uh, on the episode, we have myself, uh, Dr. Kate Lancaster, uh, Will, and Phil. So last time we discussed what ICF is, so what inertial confinement fusion is, and essentially what it is, is we use big lasers to compress a fuel pellet, and by compressing that fuel pellet we allow, well, we create fusion. Now we're going to start talking about other aspects of ICF, and to begin with we'll be talking about ignition. Ignition in ICF is essentially when the fusion alpha particles are depositing more heat than that is being lost from other mechanisms which means that most of your fuel can be burnt because you're putting more energy in than essentially out. So without further ado, let's continue with the episode. So seeing as we're, we've moved on to ignition, yeah. should we talk about the National Ignition Facility? Mm. So, so are we going to discuss like where the research in the world is being done? Yeah. So where in the world is the research being done? Uh, well, in terms of a uh, large ex- experiment into actually doing uh, fusion, indirect dry fusion, uh, is the National Ignition Facility, which was built and finished in 2009. Yeah, around about. And so it's quite modern then, it's relatively new. Yeah. yeah. So that's in uh, California, uh, uh, Livermore. So that was built to attempt to demonstrate uh, ignition in an indirect drive method. And they chose indirect drive for various Well, I mean, they're partly reasons. a weapons lab, so that's right. part, part of the mission. Part of it was energy, part of it was stockpile stewardship. So I think the aim of the first three years of their run was to demonstrate that uh, that you could achieve ignition with this these capsules, and it was fairly confident going in, right? They've so between very, very yeah, so between twenty ten and twenty twelve, the yeah. that was that was the main ignition campaign, and the ultimate aim of that was to achieve ignition. But obviously, it's a science project, and so I think most of us in the background were kind of like, yeah, okay, this is going to just. <laughs> There's going to be some science. And I think partly, I think the community got a little bit upset at, at large, the whole fusion community, that they'd oversold because obviously within that period of time they didn't achieve ignition. But you've got to remember, if you if you aren't bombastic, you never get a facility mm. built. So yeah. it's got to be a balance, right? Without that... The American Congress to pay right, for it. It wouldn't have been built. To, yeah. So um, it's a really tricky situation, actually. But you've got to get the level right. You don't want to, like completely go crazy with it and say oh we're gonna no, crack fusion no. in 20 minutes yeah but no th- yeah i think they did i think it was um i think they were extremely confident in their cap- predictive capability and it became very clear when they began to run nick this national ignition campaign that the predictive capability did not match the experiment right. and that was the big discrepancy during that period of time has there been any progress on this discrepancy like why uh, nick didn't achieve ignition Mm. yes yeah well yes so that's so that's really interesting actually so um initially they did some experiments and it showed that they were squishing the pellet into a pancake shape um so what that meant is when the beams come inside the capsule they create x-rays and those x-rays must be as symmetric as possible to drive this spherical capsule and they were driving the poles harder than the the equator for one reason or another and they've harnessed one of these weird parametric instabilities that I was mentioning earlier, which direct energy away from where you need it, to actually transfer energy from some of the laser beams into other laser beams to redistribute the energy in the capsule. Like a Death then, Star. Yeah, like a Death Star. <laughs> well, sort of. <laughs> um, to then improve the symmetry as well. 
Um, the other thing is they started getting this horrible rally tailor instability, which started mixing the outer shell, which we call the ablator, which is uh, a different material to the inner shell. And that started to cool the, the reaction down, so we're getting less neutrons. Um, and so they've been kind of playing around with the shape of the drive pulse, which actually can slightly mitigate against this instability. Um, basically, you can kick the outer layer harder at the beginning mm. um, because it seems to be stabilized by that a little bit. Um, they've also, sorry, this is me talking about, <laughs> no, <go ahead. laughs> but they've also discovered various different degradation mechanisms which made um, their actual outcome, their actual neutron yield and, and other factors different to how they thought it would be in the simulations and they've identified these different methods and they've built really sophisticated codes to put these different degradation mechanisms in so for example what am i talking about when i say degradation mechanism right so this rally taylor instability is one thing um, symmetry is another thing uh, then there's also how the pellet is held in this tiny little capsule it doesn't just levitate right there's a thin whiff of material that kind of holds this capsule in place like a tent and it's nanometers it's absolutely tiny so they thought it wouldn't be an issue but it in fact drives this rally taylor instability as well um, and even the little tube that comes into the capsule which actually fills it with gas um, that also creates uh, instabilities mm. as well so by adding all of these different mechanisms together they've actually managed to bring their original simulation value to where they had the experimental values mm. and so they think they really understand a lot better uh what's happening which is really exciting because mm. now they're in a point in time where they can move forward and start to really improve their their results yeah. so yeah it's good times now because i think once you understand what's causing a discrepancy in, in like a simulation and experiment yeah like as soon as you can like solve for that then you can make a lot more progress because right. you can say okay now that i know that these things are happening how can i a, mitigate them or B, completely avoid yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. That's quite an, uh, it would be quite an exciting time to be working in the field because you're is. at this point, at yeah. this turning point where you're like, we know quite a lot about this field yeah. and what's going on. We can actually start guiding these experiments right. towards where we want to go. And that's exactly what they've done because they've used these methods now to actually design experiments which should give better results and, in it, and they have been. Mm. Uh, so, I'm, yeah, I'm super excited about that if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> that's given birth to all the different new like ignition schemes that you two work on and like strange other things where you try <laughs> and apply a B field to the, to the imploding capsule as well which I work on hmm. um, do you want to like just briefly describe what you do yeah I can do so um so the idea is that the sort of devil in the detail or the sort of the, the evil person in the room is this sort of turbulent um instabilities that are going on in the center of your um, capsule uh, if it turns out, if you apply a magnetic field to your capsule, then it can sort of help to smooth out some of these um, in certain directions. So that essentially means that your hotspot stays hotter and it stays hotter for longer. Um, and so by combining these two things, uh, hopefully you can improve some aspects of your implosion. Mm. Right. Um, so that's something that I work on. So there's like lots, I think the thing to take from that is there's lots of different approaches of mitigating turbulence yeah. and we're all like essentially approaching it from different angles Absolutely. Well, actually, you know we work yeah. towards that same goal we're just all in this together yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all one big fusion yeah. community team well yeah. absolutely there's lots of yeah so i mean 
what's interesting here is that the, the methods that we've been talking about so far, what we call conventional ICF, conventional ICF is um, what we would describe as kind of intermediate gain. What does that mean? Well, you only get a moderate amount of energy out for your for your for your energy in, right? In order to make a power station work, you actually need high gain. You need between thirty times to a hundred times more energy out than you've put in, right? The schemes that we have now won't do that. So the schemes that that, that me and Will work on are effectively they're they're high gain schemes. One of the um, problems with the current conventional schemes they use at the moment is you need to put a lot of energy into the outside of your capsule to drive at really fast compression, uh, which means that doing it in that sort of way makes it increases its susceptibility to these instabilities. The uh, schemes that we're looking at uh, drive this compression a little bit slower. So uh, for conventional methods, you're looking at accelerating the outer shell to 350 kilometers per second, which is an insane amount of speed. With these alternative ignition schemes, you'd be looking at doing it slightly slower. That means it's less susceptible to these instabilities. It also means if you're driving your compression slower, you leave more time for fuel to assemble in the center. So when your fuel ignites, there's now more fuel around the center. So actually, this rarefaction wave takes longer to reach the center and you give more time for burn. So that's where you get these higher gains from. Yeah, I mean, essentially, a high gain scheme is, tries to assemble more mass to a moderate density. But effectively, if you're assembling more mass, you've got more to burn. Conventional schemes rely on um, what we call isobaric schemes, where the pressure in the fuel must be equal in all places. These kind of schemes are what we call isochoric schemes, where the the pressure can be different, but the density is roughly the same, right? Uh, and so having this sort of bigger blob of mass to a more moderate density, basically you're just burning more fuel. And so that's why you get this high again. And that's what we're aiming to do. Yeah. So it's not like you're getting more bang for your buck. You just have well, more you, bucks. you might be getting more bang for your buck. For example, I work on a type of uh, advanced scheme called fast ignition, whereby you're breaking the symmetry. So you've got this beautiful you know, symmetric implosion, um, but it takes a lot of effort to, to make that happen. What we're essentially doing is moving from this kind of what would could be likened to a diesel engine where you're compressing until it self-ignites to something like a petrol engine where you've separated out the compression and heating. So you compress the fuel to this kind of moderate density and then you need to add something else. And the spark plug in this case is a super intense laser. And in, in the case of fast ignition, you fire a super intense laser into this dense fuel that creates a huge current of electrons. So masses of like, probably like mega amps. And if you think about what that means in context, like lightning is like 30 kiloamps. So it's like really serious current of electrons which go in and you kind of match their energy so that they range out in the fuel and deposit their energy. And, and that's what raises the, the fuel to the kind of 150 million degrees Celsius or Kelvin, however you want to. Mm. The, the, yeah, so, so essentially in a world, in an ideal world, you would be reducing the amount of driver energy you need. So far, <laughs> we haven't, we haven't, Apart from in simulations, we haven't found much evidence for that yet. Um, we, we get less, op less optimistic about that. But however, if we need to get to high gain, it's still a route forward. Because, I mean, you simply have to get to high gain to have a power station. And that's it. It doesn't matter whether... You still need more bang for your buck. But, but ultimately, getting to high gain is the most important thing. 
So why do you think they still continue with their existing method? Is that because they just want to demonstrate that it is possible at all? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is carrying on with their yeah less pioneering schemes, I guess. Yeah. So if I, if I go back to what I was saying originally, this probably wouldn't have been built. NIF probably wouldn't been built if it only had one mission, right? It's got a number of missions. Mm. Yeah. One of which is stockpile stewardship, which is the weapons physics. One of which is ignitions physics. There's also a discovery science program because you can do a whole bunch of other physics uh, on there. Material science under extreme conditions. You've got extreme temperatures and pressures. Um, and there are people in this institute who look at that stuff as well. Um, so, yeah, so so because there are loads of different missions, that's why this machine gets built. And because why because of history, I think this is a general point, actually, with fusion. You never back a winner. What you do is you back the thing that you know you can do because you have to kind of technology down select to build a big thing. But you don't necessarily know that that big thing is the right big thing. But you've got to build a big thing to know that it's not the right or it is the right thing, if you know what I mean. I've yeah. said thing a lot. But, <laughs> um, and so that's the sort of frustrating thing about big science is that you kind of have to pick a, pick a winner first. But it might be that Tokamak is not a winner, for example. It might be that it's the Stellarator. It might be that microfusion is the better way forward or whatever. But, mm. And it's the same with laser-driven fusion. Is We're doing it because we know roughly or better how to do it and then when we start getting really creative, that's when. But it's better to it's better to kind of demonstrate it first and then yeah. move to those situations. I feel like in general, though, whenever the fusion community designs anything, they're not very optimistic about what their devices can do. <laughs> I feel like, and I guess this is good, but I think this is also bad. It's good because you know they're going to try and take in all of the different things that could go wrong and say, okay, we're not we're not going to go crazy. We could build something at 100%, and we're going to build it at 50%, mm. just so we know that, you know, it's definitely going to work and we'll get some good science out. But I think it would be nice if we had a couple of people just being going all in, saying, okay, we're going to build this crazy device mm. and we think it's going to do this, this, and this, mm. and it's going to do some amazing stuff. And, like, everyone will take it with a pinch of salt, obviously. But I feel like we do need some people just going... Yeah. Isn't that sort of happening for... now, though? Just isn't, like, these extra, like build companies that are springing up trying yeah. to, you know... So you have... I mean, I, I'm not sure about ICF, but we have companies like Tokamak Energy who are based down in Oxfordshire. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, I think they're one of the groups who are, like, just going, like, well, you know... Let's just give it a go. Let's yeah. Just whack it out. I think the community's divided... This is a really interesting point, actually. The community's really divided on whether... Uh, on the value of, of small companies. And I have a personal view that I think it's a brilliant thing. Pull in private money make these investigations do the physics that the, that the bigger projects might not be doing why not this if people are prepared to make high-risk investment like that for a potentially no gain then yeah. just do it i think it's a really good idea i yeah. think it's a really good idea yeah. i think i'm glad that someone is doing it yeah i'm also glad that i'm not doing it <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm really satisfied in working on alternative schemes because basically the physics that underlies what I do is also, it underlies a lot of laser plasma interactions at large. When, when you fire a laser into a piece of solid material, the kind of physics I investigate underpins all of that. So one day I can wear a hat that says I'm a fundamental physicist. The next day I can wear a hat and says, hey, look, I've been doing fast ignition all along. So, you know, that's the beauty yeah. of it. That's yeah. one. That's one thing I like, I like about being in the area of um, inertial confinement fusion. I mean, Bav might disagree, but I feel a lot of the stuff we do is more probing unknown physics. 
in inertial confinement machines. And there's many aspects of laser plasma stuff that really we have no idea and we're trying to get down. But with Tokamaks, you're pursuing this idea. I mean, um, with a Tokamak, you already know pretty much what your reactor is going to look like. And you're trying to figure out a way to make that work. With ICF, we're just trying to see if it works. And on top of that, we're trying all these different do new techniques, which are looking into all these new physics that don't understand. I mean, with um, fast ignition uh, for Kate's, to drive that electron beam, you need a laser that's what, a thousand times more intense than what you use to drive a compression in ICF. Yeah, or yeah. even more than a thousand. Yeah. And that's just, that's completely different physics. Yeah, The is. physics that drives ICF compression off of um, those lasers. Once you go to the next step of intensity, you get... Um, if you go step on testing, you get more uh, laser plasma, no, sorry, parametric instabilities. And if you go a step above that, you get these different relativistic effects. Yeah. And, and by relativistic, yeah. we mean these, these particles n are now approaching the speed of light. And so therefore you get all of the weird effects associated with that increase in mass, for example, and things yeah. like that. So that, yeah, you get some really interesting. Uh, I mean, in terms of that, that's, that's physics you want to avoid for, um, for ICF, from aggression yeah. for um, ICF, but you can still look at that physics in an ICF perspective in trying to produce these hot electron be beams. But these hot electron beams really useful for driving fast ignition, but if you produce these hot electron beams in normal compression, they'll just go straight to your fuel, heat the center, and you'll never compress the thing. Yeah. I mean, from what it sounds like, and just from general conversation, like you have different, I guess, regimes where different rules apply yeah. so mm -hmm. one person will be working at oh this is only like a like a terawatt beam and then yeah. we have physics you know terawatt physics yeah and then we go to like petawatt physics yeah. and then oh, yeah. oh, it's completely different and think the rules are completely changed yeah you know. well i mean we're, we're entering an era now as well with the lasers that are shortly going to come online where quantum electrodynamic effects <laughs> apply where for example the electrons that are liberated during the interaction are, are radiating so strongly that the they recoil under the, the emission of a photon. And so that then has to be uh, incorporated into the physics. And there's loads of other weird effects that happen as well. So we're only just touching the surface of those just now. Yeah, I think, I think it's fair to say that in general, ICF covers a wider range of different physics yeah. aspects. Because yeah. like, I can't ever imagine a scenario where we have to look at like QED or like <laughs> QCD yeah. or anything like that in, yeah. in, uh, in so I mean, we should probably mention what QED and QCD stand for, right? Yeah, like uh, quantum electrodynamics and quantum chromodynamics. So it's, it's made everything a lot clearer. For <laughs> well, it at least at least makes it easier to Google. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I feel like QED is much easier to Google than quantum electrodynamics. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, I guess you probably still get QED. I, I, I did say it that. Sound, it sounds. No, you did. Oh, sorry, did you? Yeah. Oh my bad. Oh, it's fine. I'm paying attention. It's fine. Whatever. If you're not invested, I was in a glass of seawater daydreaming about. It's fine. I think. You're just not involved in glass of seawater. I see yeah. how it is. I mean, there's pros and cons <laughs> to this community in the sense that it's, I guess, it's less coherent, hilariously, even though we're using lasers. Oh, Laser gang! Um, <laughs> but um, so, so that's great in the sense that we can be flexible and design an experiment right from the beginning. In, in, you know, in a short space of time, you can say, hey, this new experiment, I need to do this. Bam, do it where it's harder for your community to do that. But on the other hand, you're more coordinated. You have a center of gravity, which is the tokamak. And, and this is where you orbit and you're going to get physics done to move to a power station where I think we're miles away from that and will continue to be for a long time. My, my next question was going to be, when are we going to see an ICF power plant? I mean, that's 
We couldn't even say what it would look like at this point. Well, we kind of can. We kind of can, because, I mean, the outer part is remarkably similar to, right. you know, it's, yeah. a, it's always that Victorian thing of heating steam to, yeah. you know, yeah. and we still have to generate lithium in the wall and so forth. So, I mean, sorry, we still have to generate tritium in the wall using lithium, for example. Yeah. yeah. To, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, not but, generating lithium. Yeah. Um, and so, so all of those problems are common. I guess in terms of power stations and maybe where one has the edge over another, if you think about where all the gubbins is in an MCF reactor, it sits in, everything sits in this cryostat, which has to sit all together. So all the driving stuff is next to where the burning plasma is, right? Mm. With ICF, you're using lasers, so your drivers are miles away, and anything sensitive can be miles away. So in some senses, it's might, it might be more resistant to the extreme conditions you're producing. That's the only real advantage to doing ICF over MCF, actually. There's mm. there's a there's a few more minor ones. So you have some advantages in pulse operation in that with uh, a tokamak you need an amount of tritium to start your reactor. It's a big volume that you've got to fill with tritium. Yeah, that's it, true. With I ICF mean, you need one. When you capsule. say a big amount, it's just to be it's clear, really it's a couple not. of grams. It's yeah. not a lot. Yeah, we're talking tens of milligrams. So yeah, the, it's but the, yeah. the the issue with is with st um, storing that amount. Um, and getting in, and you've also that's, th that's more of a government regulation yeah. kind well, of thing. That's not like that's a true. fundamental. To but I also design. think overall, for but for anything that uses fusion using tritium, you will have a tritium handling problem. Yeah, and I think yeah. you probably at some point should talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's a good idea. We'll we'll I think one later, one safety aspect. Day, so I, we've talked about when you when you talk about the uh, one of the advantages of fusion, a lot of things you talk about safety, mm. and pretty much one of the the largest. Uh, consequence you can get of a, a tokamak going wrong is a breach in the wall uh, that releases tritium gas. That's basically worst case scenario, right? Very obviously very unlikely you'd avoid it, but other than that, it, I mean, it can't explode. The the most damage you can do is release a radioactive gas. Yeah, and even then, it's a couple of grams of gas. So yeah, it's not. Yeah. So it's very, it's a but very. But it's something amount. that you yeah. at least in the actual reaction process you avoid with ICF because you're um, looking at small pellets if you damage the wall you just turn the reactor off you stop firing pellets in yeah I you're mean, not burning anything is, you don't though, release any I mean, tritium anymore sorry i'm just kicking you under the table there to be honest you've been kicking me <laughs> oh for the god i'm time. so sorry <laughs> i thought it was a leg of the table anyway sorry um so i mean obviously uh we do all of our interactions under vacuum at the moment so we've got these massive kind of vacuum chambers um the reason is because uh, when you when you bring the lasers into um, the chamber, they're at an intensity whereby they would break down uh, in the air rather than uh, where you want them to be fired at. So, um, you know, you'll turn the air into a plasma instead of your pellet. So it ha everything has to be done under vacuum. However, probably, because if you've got this rapid fire, you're going to have to have some very low density gas flowing through the chamber because you've got to get rid of all the debris because yeah. then you're going to have lasers coming in through a really dirty environment and this is something we just don't know that right. could be a proper showstopper actually because mm. i mean we've simply not done that <laughs> i'm not like i've heard this number thrown around a lot and i don't know if any of this is true. <laughs> we'll love this number but i from what i understand you have to do like 10 pellets per second that's right yeah five, five to ten yeah, yeah. yeah. so if you, you you need to do this implosion mm -hmm. five to ten times a second mm -hmm. 
So, you know, you can imagine someone drops, I say someone, something, drops yeah. a pellet down, a you robot. get the laser comes in, <laughs> uh, you get your fusion, uh-huh. and then you get this big explosion out, uh-huh. and then you have to clear all of that away, and then drop another pellet well, in. Well, I mean, there's, then... it's a very small amount of mass, right? So let's not... Let's not uh... But... And there's stuff in there, but if you think about it, the size of the chamber is going to be probably a 10 metre, 10 metre wide vacuum chamber. Obviously, yeah. it depends on, as with all these fusion reactors, if you're breeding tritium... Yeah. You've got to have enough wall uh, space that's devoted to breeding. So your tritium breeding is sufficient uh, mm. to sustain your uh, reactor. Yeah. So you don't want too many holes in the wall, for example. Oh, but we need um, holes for the lasers. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so, so you know, it has to be a balance there. Um, so you need a big vacuum chamber. I can't remember where I was going with this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so you've got a big vacuum chamber and a tiny little pellet. Um, so it's going to, I guess it's going to take a while for, for that to build up, but nonetheless, you're right that, you know, that is something to be considered. Mm. I think when it comes to like ICF reactors, it's very much in the pre-infant stage. It's very difficult to talk about ICF in the context of reactors. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different, I mean, it's a completely different community in many ways as well. Um, so I just want to apologize to Phil because he knocked his book and then I just gave him a really dirty (laughs) (laughs) I felt some tension over there. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so we've uh, briefly talked about what Phil does. We've briefly talked about what Dr. Lancaster does. Well, what do you do? So I'm looking into a different alternative ignition scheme to the one Kate's looking at. The one I'm looking at is called shock ignition. So uh, we haven't mentioned it yet, but... When you drive ICF compression, you have to do it using shocks, which are essentially pressure disturbances that uh, travel into the center of your fuel and they drive your compression. Uh, when they reach the center, they all, they're timed to all get there at the same time, and they bounce back from the center once they've, um, once they've reached it. As they're traveling out, if you send another massive shock back in to meet with them on their way out, where they meet, they'll drive a huge pressure. Uh, they'll drive the pressure up hugely, and that pressure you use to ignite your uh, fuel. So previously we were talking about compressing the fuel, igniting in the center. This time you just compress your fuel. You don't worry about heating it too much in the center. When the shocks back about bounce back, they c- collide with this other shock that you sent in, and that massively increases the pressure. That incre- that then ignites your fuel. So you have the initial compression. And then you have the interaction of these two shocks, and these two shocks then yeah. spike sec- like crazy. Second shock you send through, yeah. you, well, you generate these shocks by cleverly um, changing how you uh, fire your laser into the capsule. You change its profile, and then essentially at a certain time, you massively increase your laser power, and that's what sends this final shock in. Right, okay, cool. And does it ignite exactly where those two shocks meet, or does one of the shocks then rebound back into the center? And so where the shocks meet, the, the pressure drives up, it still ignites in the center of the fuel. Okay. Is it where where exactly is this happening? I can't really picture it. Is so it happening in the center on the edge. We or? talked about shell, uh, the shell compressing the gas. The shock, the initial shocks travel through the shell, and then they travel into the gas. They meet in the center of the gas, then they bounce back. When they reach the compressing shell again, that's where they meet the other shock coming inwards. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, that results in a shock that's then traveling back into the middle again, which is right. that thing that. You know, so the there's like oh, three right. shocks that you need yeah. to think about. Yeah, well, there's uh, more than slopes. that actually. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit more crazy than that. That's quite a simplistic, but rightly so simplistic view. <laughs> yeah. of, um, the, I think the advantage to shock is um, 
typically if you wanted to drive this kind of implosion with like a normal um, laser pulse profile um, and you use sort of big thick shells which are actually more stable to these horrible instabilities that we've been talking about they would never ignite in that way it's only because you've put this massive spike on the back of the laser pulse where you can then add this extra thing to ignite and ultimately because you've got this big thick shell that's more stable you've got a big thick shell you've got more mass and simply you've just uh, burnt more mass and so that's that's the advantage there the big advantage to what Will's doing is it doesn't have the the high intensity physics where you're driving electron beams, which is the big unknown. It's not using any physics that we don't really know anything about. I mean, yes, there's some physics associated with what happens when the the high intensity spike at the back of the pulse interacts with with the material, but which may not actually be detrimental. Right, it may have exactly. A positive effect. Exactly. So we don't. Yeah. So exactly. So it's it's a sort of physics that we sort of relatively know a bit more mm -hmm. about than this sort of horrible high intensity regime, which is really really interesting. But still, there's a lot of unknowns. So. So there haven't been many experiments done on shock ignition yet at all. I yeah. So so there are some at Rochester, aren't there? So there's a big lab, um, like a like five hours north of New York, in a place called Rochester. Um, it's a system called Omega. Um, they do a lot of shock ignition work mm. there. Um, there are people in France that are really, really interested. In fact, France are building a system um, not dissimilar to the National Ignition Facility called Laser Megajoule, and part of their program will be dedicated to doing shock ignition. I'm sure Will will end up there <laughs> one day doing his thing. So, well, hopefully, <laughs> I Fingers suspect crossed. that's the plan. Yeah, going there in January. Meow. Mm. Very funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, is that the thing I'm sending my student to? Is yeah, me, yeah. me, Demo, and John's other student. Ah, oh, team. <laughs> are you going to France, Phil? No, it's only John's oh, students, unfortunately. I'm going to Beijing, but you know. Oh, no, no, this isn't. That's that's we, de we deal with these things, yeah. don't we? Yeah, but Phil is definitely like a border kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna send you lots well. of pictures. <laughs> it might be worth noting, actually, given we've just started talking about loads of countries, is that NIF is. NIF is maybe the only show in town that is possibly capable of reaching ignition, but that's not to say there are not loads of massive facilities mm. in the in the world, right? UK, there's loads of there's loads of research going on in the UK. We don't we don't own a massive facility, but um, we have some really cutting edge lasers which contribute to that program. France again, they're they're bringing this massive laser online. Um, China have a system called Shenguan Three. They're bringing another laser system online, which is going to be huge. Mm. Shenguan Four because um, they're really interested in this stuff as well um, and loads of other countries that are involved in this Japan for example are really really keen on fast ignition so so it's it's not just the America show yeah. there is uh, you know a lot right. of research a global presence yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good to know that is very good um, you know we're all in this together I mean, we're all in this together, together. <laughs> <laughs> no but that's nice to say yeah it's very nice <laughs> Phil would you like to say that we're all in this together we're all in this together. Oh, right? I've, got I've got tear like, in my eyes. It's so good voice. when he says it. Yeah, Phil's voice is just so silky. It's, so <laughs> it's like a verbal linking of hands. Isn't it? <laughs> I just want to like wear your voice. Oh my god. Oh, like an expensive scarf. Um, you can be my scarf. Anyway. Oh. So Will, what is your favourite thing about ICF? Uh, I like that the experiments have lasers so big that you can actually walk into the laser and go and see where the beam goes. It's not just a little box on a table. It's a massive facility that you can go and look at the individual laser bits. How big is um, NIF? Oh, oh. Uh, 
Three, two football fields, right? Three, three, three football. American football the, pitches. Each has yeah. got two laser banks. Each one is a f- the size of a football field, right? Yeah, and it's then pretty big. Um, and then you've ten got ten the... stories high as well. Yeah, yeah. Nip is it's pretty beefy. Huge. Yeah, Vulcan, like... Vulcan's the size two, of a swimming two, pool. Two Olympic swimming yeah. pools. Yeah, yeah. Big. If yeah. if that wasn't clear, Vulcan is <laughs> the UK capability. Mm. It's very good. Mm. I grew up there. <laughs> Kate. Oh, what's my favorite thing? I did well. I think just being part of the machine, you know, just knowing that yes, it might seem like we're mucking about, wasting taxpayers' money, firing lasers into things, but ultimately, if it pans out, it could be really useful. And and it's just nice to have been part of that. I mean, I suspect I'll be long dead before this becomes a thing, right? But knowing that I've been part of that and my name are on a few papers, you know, that that's very encouraging. I feel like a lot of like massive progressions in technology come from people like from research areas that people thought was basically useless right like a lot of... I don't think it's useless right but <laughs> I see where you're coming from yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, not not specifically ICF is useless just in general <laughs> yeah 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 but that's that's the point isn't it there's there's applications driven stuff there's blue sky stuff and sometimes they meet well I was, I was gonna say I think my favorite thing is probably very similar it's like the versatility of it so you've got the idea that we're trying to produce a sustainable source of energy which would be lovely um but you've also got all the other stuff you can do while you're firing a massive laser at something and that gives you all the fundamental physics gives you like crazy applications in astrophysics and stuff yeah and it also takes you like into the realms of trying to save the environment as well so i mean can i just say I really like it when everyone says massive laser. Massive laser. <laughs> they mention on web massive yachts. This <laughs> <laughs> oh. huge lake. You, you Bab, what's your like, what's your favorite what thing? What happens when a say. massive laser meets a <laughs> minuscule, <laughs> <laughs> an immovable foil? <laughs> I think. I think my favorite thing about ICF is like when you go right down to basics, fundamentally, what you guys are trying to do is just smush something really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to squish something so hard that nothing has ever been that squished before. So fundamentally, you're just like squishing. And I like that. Yeah, I like that. That is a perfect note to end on. That was a great episode. That was a really fun episode. I learned so much. Same. Even though I may have not been in it. Same. So I think uh, for our many listeners, we would really appreciate if you subscribe to our podcast on whatever app you're listening on. Yeah, and check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Just search A Glass of Seawater and we'll come right up. Finally, just if you can, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be incredibly helpful. That would really help us. It greatly increases the visibility of the podcast, probably more than anything else. And tell all your friends and enemies. See you next time for the next glass of seawater. Bye. Yeah, why didn't we get glasses of water or something like... Mm. Something really noisy to open, like carbonated. I can't remember, one of the episodes you could hear someone slurping. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe I can end it on my chewing my chow. Oh, come on. Oh, that would actually work quite well. That'd be good. I mean... No, you, you'd want them to know what you were doing, though, rather than just have bad. No, there's definitely me saying I'm about to chew my chow mein. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Try saying that. Chew my chow mein. Chew, chew my chow mein. Chew my chow mein. Chew my chow mein.